Okay, so we're learning Daf Gimel. I'm just going to give a small little recap of what we did right at the end so we can jump right into this point that we're up to. So we were talking about a cherish. There's different types of a cherish. There's a cherish who's also, who's deaf and also mute. And that's a person who's considered halachically incompetent. He doesn't have dots. He's pati, he's exempt from all mitzvahs, including the mitzvah of Samachta Bechagacha. He doesn't have to show up at all, even to eat from the meat of Karbanos. Then we have a cherish who's only missing one of those two uh, capacities. Either he can't, he can't hear or he can't speak, but he's not missing both. So he is considered a mentally competent. He does have das. He is chayv in mitzvahs generally. However, we said that he's still potter from the mitzvah of Aliyah the Regal of coming up and bringing the karbonot. He's potter from that mitzvah specifically. The source for that is that it says uh, by Hakel, the word Re'iyah, and it says the word Re'iyah as well by Alila Regal. So there's a connection between the mitzvah of Hakel and the mitzvah of Alila Regal. And by Hakel, the Pasuk says, Laman Yishma'u, Laman Yomadu. So that they will hear and that they will learn. So those two words, Man Yishma'u, exclude someone who can speak but cannot hear because you can't, you can't fulfill the words of the Pasuk they will hear. And then the Gemara said the word Laman Yomadu, so they'll learn, excludes somebody who cannot speak. So once I know they're Pasuk from the mitzvah of Hakel, then I carry that over and I exempt from the mitzvah of Alila Regal as well. That's what we're, we're up to. However, now the Gemara says, Daf Gimel, we are, how many lines are we? Nine lines down. The Gemara says, it seems to be from here that the science is that somebody who cannot speak cannot learn. Because that's what we're saying. The words by Haka, that they will be so that they will learn, those words exclude somebody who cannot speak. For Ekti Gemara, that the Matthias is not that way. There were once two mute people, two people who couldn't speak. They lived in Rebbe's neighborhood. They were the sons, these two Ilmim, the sons of Rebbe Yochanan Ben-Gud they were the sons of Rabbi Yochanan Gugla's daughter. Amilah, the people say, that they were sons of Rabbi Yochanan's sister. And what happened? Whenever Rabbi would enter the base of Kamayo, they, you know, they, they seemed, they were making the motions, we couldn't speak to them, they don't talk, but they, they seemed to be into it. They'd go down, they'd sit in front of Rabbi. It seems that they, uh, they were pretty into it. When now they were shy, they would nod their heads as if nodding and understanding, and they would murmur things. They would move their lips while they were, uh, while, while, while the shear was going on, as if they seemed to be interactive. It seemed to be that they were part of the, of what was going on, part of the shear. Uboy Rebbe Rachmi allowed. What happened was that Rebbe davened on their behalf that they should be cured. And that's what happened. Vitasu, they were healed. And what happened was, then they were able to speak. Vishtakach, who was found, that they knew everything. They knew all the halacha, sifra, sifri, all the orders of the Mishnah. Thing, that these people who were never able to speak were still the became the, all the knowledge that they amassed when they were in a, when they were, the time they were unable to speak was huge. So what do we see from here? That a mute person is able to learn. Why? And it kind of makes sense, right? He could hear. So so what that he can't speak it through? But he could hear. As long as he could hear, his hearing is intact, he should be able to learn. So what's the pshat that we say by Hakal? That if it says, that excludes somebody who who cannot speak, that implication is somebody who cannot speak cannot learn. But here we see that the Mitzvah is otherwise. That somebody who cannot speak is very much still able to learn. So the Gemara says, Amar Marzutra, Kri The word was, and that we were reading until now with the vowels, Laman Yilmudu, that they will learn. Instead of that, we make the vowels a little bit different. Laman Yilamidu. We keep the letters the same, but the vowels a little bit different. Yilamidu means that they will be able to teach, that they show up in Hakel, so that they will be able to teach it to other people. And that is something that the mute is not able to do, because even if he will learn the information, he'll hear it and absorb it and know it, but he's still exempt from the mitzvah of Hakel because he cannot teach. And, and, and this is an interesting point. You would think the Gemara is just, um, you know, randomly changing the vowels of the 
Torah from the Mad Yomadu to the Mad Yilamedu. Ravashi Yamar Vade the Mad Yilamedu. Let me confirm that point that the right interpretation here in the Pasuk is that so that they will teach. Um, and how do we know that? These are the Man Yomadu, if it really thinks that so that they will learn. And that someone who cannot speak cannot learn. If you really think that's true, but the Pasuk already spoke about somebody who cannot hear. Um, we already spoke about him, so obviously he's not going to he's not going to be able to learn it. So why do I have to have a second pasuk to exclude somebody who cannot speak? Why can't that also be derived from someone who cannot hear? So in other words, what, what's the point here? The point is that if it's true that a mute person cannot learn, then he should also be excluded from the man yishmu, because the point is he's not going to be able to, to, to be into what he's hearing, even if technically the words are going into his ears. But if he's not learning anything from what goes into his ears, then that's not called hearing. Mars making a very interesting point, a subtle point. It says the man Yishmu, we exclude somebody who can hear. But if it's true that somebody who can hear but cannot speak is not learning anything, that's also not hearing it. Interesting. Is that really true? Maybe the man Yishmu is just that the words don't go in. No, the Gemara has Pashra by the Gemara. That if somebody is hearing it but he's not getting anything from it, he's not absorbing any information and he cannot, he's not learning it, so that's also not the man Yishmu. So if it's true that somebody who cannot speak, cannot learn, I wouldn't need the second Pasuk of the man Yishmu. You know what the answer is? Really, he is learning. And really, he is able to hear and understand. But there comes along the Torah and says a second din, that even though he knows and is understanding what's going on at Haka, but there's a new din of so that they will teach. And that's what we're excluding the person who is able to um, hear but cannot speak. So we're coming out, somebody who can hear but cannot speak is able to learn, but they're unable to teach. And the words in the Torah, Laman Yishmu, Laman Yilmudu, we're interpreting, we're interpreting Laman Yilmudu as Laman Yilameidu, and therefore we're excluding them as well. And now that take that take over effect is that they're brought from Chagiga as well. All right, here we go. Amar Rabbi Tanchum, What if a person is deaf in just one ear? Right. So before we were talking about deaf in two ears. Now, what if he's deaf in only one ear? He's still Potter. Shinemar, it says, Ba'aznehem. by Hakel, it says that they'll be heard in their ears. Ears in the plural. So now we take over whatever we learned from Hakel, we take it over to Aliyah Larago. So even though they're going to be able to hear, they're going to be able to learn, right? He's got one ear that functions. But since it says Ba'aznehem, that extra word excludes someone who is deaf in just one ear. Frakti Gemara, who said there's a word that's extra here to Darshan? Hi, Ba'aznehem, Ba'aznehem just means in the ears of all of Yisrael. It doesn't mean the, the two ears of each person necessarily it just means gather the entire nation so that they they in the plural will hear in their ears it doesn't mean the two ears necessarily so the Lord says no that's derived just from the phrase that says it's, that the king is reading in front of all of Kali Yisrael so Ba'aznehem really is extra Ba'aznehem is extra we can dashin that is coming to say that each individual must be hearing with two of their ears so that's not a good answer if I just had the words I would think it's in front of them even if they're not hearing it at all. Now, even if somebody's deaf, Taisa says, or maybe they're standing too far away from the king. You know, so let's say you could hear, but the point is they're standing too far away to be able to hear. So I would say it's still okay because it's negative. The king is reading the Torah in front of Kalei. It says in their ears, with the Shamis, that they're close enough that they can hear. So Vaitir, Bazneham is not extra. The words Bazneham are coming to tell us that he's reading, he's reading it to Kalei in a way that all of them collectively are able to hear. So the, words, the word Bazneham is not extra to teach that someone who is deaf in one ear is exempt from the mitzvah of Hakel and then 
from the mitzvah of Alila Rego as well. So we're basically challenging the drasha that we made. We made a drasha of Oznei Hem, that we're saying it's an extra word and it excludes from Hakal, and then Alila Rego, someone who's deaf from, in only one ear. The Kamara is challenging that Oznei Hem is necessary to tell us that when the king reads, the whole group, the whole community who's there, has to be close enough that it's going in their ears. But I don't see specifically that each individual person has to be able to hear with both of their ears, and maybe really someone who's exempt with, who is, who's deaf in one ear should still be chayev. So the Gemara finally answers, that would have already been learned from the man yishmu. I don't need the extra words, that they should hear. Obviously, if they're too far away from the king and they're not hearing, that's not the yishmu. So I know that already. I don't know, but I don't need Bosnahem for that. So therefore, Baiter Bosnahem comes back as an extra word. If it comes back as an extra word, then I interpret it as an exemption as someone who is deaf in one ear. And again, once I learned that his potter in the mitzvah of Hakel, someone who's deaf in one ear, we then extend it to the mitzvah of Ali the Regal as well. Another thing Somebody who is chiger, he is lame in one foot. So one foot he's able to walk, but one foot he's not able to. So we mentioned someone who's lame in general with both feet is potter. But now we're saying even if it's only in one foot that he can't walk, he's potter. Even though um, practically he's able to get himself there. But since he can't, he can't, he can't use both of his feet, he is exempt. It says it in the plural. So since it says rigolim, literally rigolim means times. But we're expounding it. We're like milash and regal, the feet. So we're saying that only someone who has both of the feet are healthy, they're obligated in the mitzvah of the regal, but if both of the feet are not healthy, they are potter. But we already use regalim for something else. How regalim you violate pralabali kabin? It comes to exclude people who have wooden feet. So what does that mean? It means there's somebody who has an amputation. So what they would do is they would take a piece of wood and try to like put some rags or comforting, uh, like comfortable stuff in it and stick it into the stump of the leg. So basically there's a wooden foot. That's what it is. So that regalim was coming to exclude that these people are not high in the Mitzvah regal. But it, you have to have feet. But it's not coming to exclude someone who's just lame. So in other words, regalim is coming to say you have to have both regular feet. But let's say I have two regular feet, but I can only use one of them, then I'm potter. So we're saying regalim is coming to exclude somebody who is lame in even just one foot. Mar is saying no. Maybe really regalim is coming to exclude somebody who doesn't have both feet. He has one amputation on one foot and a wooden foot on the other one. And that person is exempt, but somebody who has both feet, but merely one of them he can't use, or it's not working, functioning properly, then maybe really he is still obligated. So the Gemara says that's not a good question. Who mi pa'amim nafka? That's another word. Shalosh pe'amim. So pe'amim can mean like, again, uh, three occurrences, three times that you should appear. But the time it says in the price, no, pa'amim means something else. Ain't pa'amim rala raglaim. Pa'amim really means feet. And it means there's a connotation that only someone with feet it's supposed to come. And from there we're saying that someone who does not have feet, meaning the amputee who has the wooden foot, or, or even just one wooden foot, he is exempt from the mitzvah. It says the foot will, speak, will step on it, the feet of the pauper, with the soles of the needy person. So we see being used as a foot. That the one's footsteps are so beautiful um, when they're walking in their sandals, the daughter of the noble person. We'll see what that pasuk is referring to. But what, the thing that we take away is that it's taking, that we see that pa'amim means a foot. So we're saying like this, pa'amim already excluded the person who doesn't have the two feet. So now we go lim, which is mashma two, two, two feet again, is coming to say that even if you have both feet, but if not, both of them, but both of them aren't functioning, then vaiter your pater from the mitzvah of aliyah le regal. 
Darash Rava. Now we talk about that pasuk. This pasuk from Shir Hashir, which is describing the beauty of somebody's footsteps when they're walking. So What's the meaning of the pasuk? So we say it like this: How beautiful are the footsteps of Klai in the regular time that they're at the time when Klai is walking up. Um, and we say Bana Olim, that the, the reason we're making Joshua now can mean like a footstep, but we're also, Bana Olim can mean, a, I'm sorry, like a sandal. But we're also saying it's Milashim, like Allah. You see the root in there, that how beautiful are the footsteps of Klai Yisrael when they're being Olul Raga. And who are these Klai Yisrael? Bas Nadiv, the daughter of the noble one. Who is the noble one? Vidush Avram Avinu. For the daughter of Avram Avinu, Shinikra Nadiv, Avram was called noble. Shinikra so it says the noble, the nations have gathered, the nation of the God of Avram. Okay, Avram below, I look at Yitzchak and Yaakov. What does that mean? Hashem is only the God of Avram, not Yitzchak and Yaakov. So it must be, okay, Avram, Avram was the first, first gear in the world. So basically we're saying that Nadiv is somebody who's noble in his heart, but also it means like Nadiva Saleh. Avram recognized his Bari Olam and he gave himself over to the, to the religion before it was popular, before anyone else was doing it. So he's the original Nadiv. So we're saying that's the meaning now in the Pasuk, that our footsteps when we were being Olu regular are so beautiful, we, that is the daughter of Avram Avinu. But Lamaisa, what's missing in the Gemara? What's missing in the Gemara is a deeper explanation about the connection of Avram's Nedivus to our mitzvah of Olu regular. The Gemara expounded it each word beautifully. But Ma'akesher, what's the Vard here in Gemara that our Olu regular is connected to Avram Avinu's Nedivus? Well, well ma, what's the Kesher? So the Svasem, it says, he says that what's the mitzvah of Alila Regal? We make a big misunderstanding. We think, you know, you show up in the Azara, that's the point. That's not really the point. The point, if you take a look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, that nobody will covet your land when you go up. The Pasuk says that don't be scared to leave everything behind when you leave. Why? Why aren't you scared to leave? You leave dessert, your whole, everything's there, all your property, all your real estate. Somebody could just come in and squat. Why aren't you scared? Because you're going in front of Hashem and Hashem said to do it, He's going to take care of you. It's one of the big proofs that the Moshe Rabbeinu did not make up the Torah, right? The Bible, to answer up the Bible critics, there are many different proofs that the, in the 1800s that were brought, this is one of the best proofs, right? Which fool would give a guarantee to his people, only the Abishra can say such a thing. There's no way Moshe Rabbeinu is a human being would make such a promise. You can be proven wrong. And you get someone who takes over the real estate, the Torah looks like a fool. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't want to make himself vulnerable to that. So if there's a haftal, there's a guarantee. Then it must be that it comes from the Abishra. But at any rate, the mitzvah is that don't be scared to leave your real estate. In fact, the Gemara M'sachim Dabchet says, Kol Mishain lo karka. If you don't own real estate, you're putter from the mitzvah. Why are you putter from the mitzvah? You can go to Jerusalem. The Tarot says the mitzvah isn't just to show up in Jerusalem. The mitzvah is that when you're in Jerusalem and you're journeying, you're leaving your stuff behind and you're making yourself open to anybody coming in and stealing your stuff. That's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is that you walk anyway and you're not scared. So then he goes up to Svassamit He says, let's connect this to Avram Avinu. Who is the person who left everything behind and traveled to Jerusalem? The original person who does this is Avram. That's his Nadivas. The Nadivas is that you're generous with what you have for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's Mamash what Avram Avinu did. He left everything, everything that he had, complete revolution in his life, and he left it all behind to journey, to go, to go to Yerushalayim, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. So what's going to inspire his descendants years later is that. That's exactly what it is. Our footsteps are so beautiful. You know why they're so beautiful? Because they're retracing Avram Avinu's steps. Just like he one time left everything behind and he went to Yerushalayim, so so too we do the same thing. Beautiful var from Svasemes. Okay, I'm Rav Gahan, I'm Rav Rav Nasr, I'm Yinu, 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 I'm Yinu
Barik in Bamayim. It says by the Shvatim that they, they threw Yosef into a pit. That was no, it was empty. There was no water. The Pazik says in this, in that it was already empty. In your So I know there's no water. Empty is empty. Ella, what does it mean there's no water? What's the novelty? Ella, my main It's coming to say even though there was no water, but there was, in fact, snakes and scorpions in it. Says the Gemara, Tanu Rabbanam. First, we learn about a whole story, and eventually we'll learn about something about Hakel here. My story, Biyachem Rebbe, Rabbi Lozman Chisma. Story, Biyachem Rebbe, Rabbi Lozman Chisma. Shalof Lehakel Pnei Rabbi Yeshua Pekian. They went to visit Rabbi Yeshua in a town called Pekian. Rashi says it was the regal, and we learned in Rosh Hashanah that a person is supposed to go visit. It's supposed to be Makbil. Their their Rebbe on on on, on Yantif. So they said, Amalehem. Rabbi Yeshua said, Ma Chiddush Hayu Beis Medrash Hayom. They came. He said, What was the Chiddush today in the Beis Medrash? Rabbi Yeshua was not present in the base Medish. So he asked these Talmudim, what did they say over? So on below they said, you're asking us what was said. We're your students. We drink your water. So you tell us something, right? We, you're asking us to tell you Torah. So Amalem, Rabbi Yeshua said, It's very, very important you say that the big Chidushim always come from the base Medish. So even though I might have Torah to teach you, I want to hear the Chidush. My desire to hear what I missed from going to the base Medish because there's always a Chidush in the base Medish that outweighs the idea that I'm your teacher, so I'm going to tell you. So he said, So whose week was it to give the shear in the base Medish? In other words, what used to happen is that they had a rotation of shiurim. You might remember from the Gemara and Brachos when Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Lazar ben Azari had a big fight Right, there was a whole thing about, I realized Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua, but eventually Rabbi Gamliel was reinstated as Nazi and Rabbi Gamliel was, was taken away, but Rabbi Gamliel got, got his position back, but Rabbi Gamliel still gave a shear once every four weeks. So whose week was it to give the shear? So they said, Shabbos Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Gamliel, it was the week of Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi what were they talking about today? So Amulobah um, Parshas Hakel, they were talking about Hakel. What was Rabbi Lazarus Azari saying? He said like this: Hakel Sanoshem Esa Am. Gather the people on Hashem Hashem Atav. The men, the women, and the small children. Iman Hashem Baim Lomod. We can understand why the men are coming. They're coming to learn. Hashem, even the women Baim Lishma. They're coming to hear. In other words, they have a chiv at least to hear the Torah. In other words, they can know the Torah. This is the biggest side. Women make berachas Torah, even though they're part of from the mitzvah of Tim Lama Tamatayr. What's the part? Because they're mechuyiv in the mitzvah of Shmiyas Torah. Shmiyas Torah means being informed of the law. To know what to do, so that's that's also a chelik from Torah. So women have that as well. Taf but what are the kids doing? Well, the kids aren't learning; they're not hearing. What are they doing there? To give a reward to the people who bring them. What's the pshat in such a gemara? Very strange idea. And the reason why they're brought is to bring give reward to the people who brought them. So basically, it's purposeless why they're there. But if they're there, then the people who brought them get reward. Right? Why do you get reward for doing a purposeless thing? Oh, because Hashem said. But that's a kufar question. Why did Hashem say? You can go in circles with that, right? So at the end of the day, why are the kids at Ak? Hard in you. Very interesting. The Litin's Chalim So many different Pshatim that are said. One of the, the ones that the Chinuch people, that you'll hear a lot today, is that Litin's Chalim means is that you don't get the Schar for doing it. Meaning you're not, you're not going to be into it if they're not into it. Which is a very interesting thing, that it's a catch-22. It's basically, you won't get your kids to be into something that you're not into, and you won't be able to get into something that you can't, you're not able to get your kids into. The real passion in life is always what you and your kid can enjoy together. That's what it means in the style of VN. Okay. Kavali Nikabel. Maybe that's the shot. I don't buy it. I find that I'm able to, you know, I think, I think we, can, we can have different things we're into sometimes. But that's what they say. That's what they say. They say in it said over B'Shem. Who says this vart? Who says this vart? Achlentish. Where do you say the vart from? But they say the vart. A different shot is that that if you're trying to understand that it's kedelitin schalim is that it always has to be that there's sacrifice when you're learning. In other words, 
if there's no sacrifice, if there's no, if it's not shver, if everything's going in so easy and you don't feel like you're compromising at all, then you don't get the real schar. The real schar is life. Life is that you're in the middle of learning and a kid cries and disturbs, right? You're in the middle of shvonasher and the kid cries in shul. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because if it's too easy and it's just like, okay, you're in, you're in a vacuum, you're serving God, but it's not life, there's no kids disturbing something, that's not Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is when it's weird and messy because it's families and complicated. If it's complicated, it's good. Says that part. Okay, says the Gemara Amalahem. If Yeshua's reaction is, Margoli is Taiva Isabiatran. How could he? How you can you? Yeah, you're walking around with this beautiful, precious stone of Mari de Gavart. If you guys from the Abdomi many, you were going to withhold it from me? He's very upset. I had to pry this Vart out of you guys. You, were, you, you had this sitting on a gem. Says the Gemara, something else, Rabbi Lazarus, I said, Vay Darash, Es Hashem, Amarta Hayom, Hashem, Emircha Hayom. The Pasuk in Parashas Kisavo. It says, Hashem, Amarta Hayom, and Hashem, Emircha Hayom. So, what does that mean? It's a strange usage. Amarta and Emircha. So it really means to praise. So I'm like, Kolesh Baruch so awesome. Hashem Chatzim Achas Ba'olam. You made me a, a, a beautiful praise, meaning we praise Hashem Baruch beautifully. So I'll reciprocate. Ani Asa Eschem Chatzim Achas Ba'olam. I will make you, uh, give you a special praise. Adam Hashem Chatzim Achas Ba'olam. Hashem Chatzim Achas Ba'olam. Hashem Chatzim Achas Beautiful bracha. Ani Asa Eschem Chatzim Achas Ba'olam. I'll give you a beautiful bracha. Shenemar. What does the pasuk say? So we each testify about each other. There's always the reciprocity. How we, uh, we, we, we do both. Taisus quotes the thing even by Shabbos, right? Why do we have Shabbos? We're made on our Kaddish Baruch Hu. On the other hand, Shabbos is made on Klai Yisrael. We say in, in, in Shabbos, so it's a, a few things like that. The, the, the fill-in of our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Some things show that we're doing it for God. God does it for us. And now he, Rabbi Lazarus Nazari, continues to darshan. Divrei Chachamis Kadarvonis. Some you say this in Talmud Torah. Little Yeshiva Shigemar here. Here we go. Divrei Chachamim Kadarvonis. The pasuk says in Koelas that the words of the Chachamim are like the goads. You know the goads that you use in the plow. Uchamasmaros. They're like nails. Nituim that are plant that are very well planted. Bali Asufos. All the sayings are the Bali Asufos. The Torah are from the people who assemble together. Nitnu Meroya Echa. They're all coming from the same shepherd. So, how many points is the Pasuk making? First of all, we're comparing Torah to the goad, to the plow a little bit. To however, exactly, it's like the stick that you use it to control the animal when it's, when it's plowing. It's compared to nails. It's compared, in the words of Torah, like people gather together, and all of them come from the same shepherd. So, first of all, why are we comparing it to this, to this implement they use to, to, to guide the animal when it's plowing? The goat, what it does is that it, it, it guides the cow as it's going and pulling the plow, and why is that doing it? It's going to bring life to the world, right? What happens is that everything is going to grow from when it's planted because of this Act of plowing. After the words of Torah are our guidance. It's guidance from the path of death to the path of life. It gives you meaning in this and that. It causes you not to sin. It's like the goat. It keeps you. It keeps you focused on what's right in life. But you're going to say, wait a second. The goat is immovable. Is immovable. After so the words of Torah are also immovable. What does it mean? It's movable. Meaning it's transient. It's not. It's not. It's not eternal. The pasuk says it's like nails. It's like something nailed in, right? That's permanent in its place. So whatever the Torah is, the Torah is permanent. But a nail diminishes. It doesn't add on, right? It makes a hole in the wall when you put a nail. So I would say, that the words of the Torah make, make holes and don't increase in the person. In other words, whatever is nailed into it. So that maybe it, it, it takes away from the person. 
Meaning that maybe there's this financial sacrifice of learning Torah that's just too much to bear. It doesn't increase the person. It diminishes the person when he nails in the Torah into himself. That it's well planted. Planted means it's like fruitful and it's multiplying. It's not just drilling in a nail, but the nail somehow multiplies in the person. Just as it's planting, fruitful and multiplies. The person is growing. When he nails that in, the, in himself, he is growing. Now, it's like the people who are gathered together. All the people who study in groups, right? It's learned collectively. You have to have different types of groups. Now, what does it mean different types of groups? Not stam that there's that you're learning together. The point is that there's different types of groups. That there's groups who say one way and there's groups who say a different way. And some Tamidim are saying Islam, some other Tamidim are saying Islam. Some people are saying it's possible, some people are saying it's kosher. So so you gotta have machlaikis. Basically, that's what it's saying. Machlaikis is a value. Machlekes is a good thing. That's what it seems to be saying. Now, think about the historical context we're here. Right here in the beginning, after post-Chorban, very the beginning, first, I mean, it's not the first Machlekes, but it's the generation when Machlekes definitely has proliferated to a point where it's almost like the very point of going to the base measures itself. Maybe a person says, how do I learn Torah? Everything you disagree on. There's two people who say this, people who say that. Everything's Machlekes. How am I supposed to learn? Where's truth? The answer is, the Pasuk says that everything came from the same shepherd. The source is all from one God, meaning all the opinions somehow are right. What does that mean? How is that right? How can that be? There's one leader who said them from Moshe Rabbeinu. And it all comes in the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hashem spoke all of these words. What does it mean, all of these words? It means that all rabbinic decisions, all rabbinic opinions, every machlekes, everything is traced back to the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. So now how do you learn Torah? You make your word, you make your ear like afar cheses, like some sort of funnel. And the funnel, what it wears is that you have to be able to get it all and then get one thing. Get a good heart. Discerning heart, there's most different time, different time. You have to hear all the opinions. You hear what people are talking about. You got to hear it all, and then eventually, with a like a funnel, you're going to decide what finally the halacha is. But you have to be able to understand that there's the concept of elu ve'elu divrei chayim. That halacha itself is a beautiful. That machlekes itself is a beautiful tool. It's a good medium in halacha, and everything is good. So it's fascinating because there's a love and hate relationship with machlekes. Originally, right? We know, we know this. That some sefer and others. The, 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 I love when the, the history comes together with the machshava. It's always very gishmak. So Chassam Seifer has a, a few insights of what happens with the end of Nevuah. But that's one of them. He proves that the end of Nevuah in the transitionary time in the second base of Mikdash, how the end of Nevuah led to dispute. And if you take a look in Rambam, he says, you take a look at it, you see it, right? You know, how could there be dispute when there's Nevuah, right? You find out what God wants, right? It's not so complicated. You don't have that concept. But he explains it now with the end of Nevuah, good thing, bad thing, right? How do we look at that? So he explains how everything's complicated. It's got a good thing and it's got a bad thing. And how machlekes itself is a good thing and bad thing. The bad thing is that it's not, not clear, right? You got all these different opinions. But the good thing is that it brings out the depth of more Torah. And he has mayrch and mayrch about this. It's a we see this is one of the best sources in Gemara that machlekes is not a bad thing. Machlekes is a good thing. Kol that there was nevuah, the gift of machlekes was withheld from Kal Yisrael. You couldn't learn up from kishmak machlekes b'sham v'zil. Right? You can't understand what the machlekes between Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yeshua is about. What do you mean machlekes? He asked the Navi, "Who? One guy's right, one guy's wrong." Now it's Baskel's low Bashamayim. We don't care what the Baskel says. And we have people dealing in creativity and figuring out a new Lamkos of Tarekula Miroyachat. So it's an interesting thing. This is what we're looking at as something which was good. 
The price of finishes off. Rabbi Shua said to these Talmidim, There's no war for generation if that Rabbi Lazar Menazariah is within, right? In other words, basically, it's all great. We got him, we got Rabbi Lazar Menazariah, things are amazing for us. Why didn't they just say to what Rabbi Shua said immediately? In other words, why did, when he asked them, what did they say in the base matches? Why were they reluctant? And tell him right away. They said, No, we're your students, we want to hear from you. Why was there that initial reluctance? So the Gemara says, There was a story at the time, it says in the Rise of Mice, Rabbi Yossi, Ben Dormaskis, there was a story of Rabbi Yossi, Ben Dormaskis, Shalach, Rabbi Yossi, 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 Rabbi Today in the base matter, Amalo Nimnu Vikamro, they had a vote and they decided, So we need a lot of background to understand. It's not so complicated. But what is Amunumov? Amunumov is in the land of Ever Hayardin, right? What's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So Transjordan. So so what is that halachically? What is that? So halacha is that in the time of the first Olam, in times of Yeshua, Moshe, it was Niskadish as a chilak of Eretzisral. People don't know that. People make a mistake about this. But this, the second base of Mikdash, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back up, they were not Mikdash again. So it doesn't have the full sanctity of Eretz Yisrael. However, the halacha is that even locations that are not part of Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael, if they're close to Israel, the Artsus Hasmuchas Eretz Yisrael, including Mitzrayim, including Babel, including Amun Moab, including parts of Syria, Lebanon, so on and so forth, the Artsus Hasmuchas Eretz Yisrael have to take off Tremont Miser. Why? Because there was constant supply, there was commerce that was taking place between the produce of the, of the, the, the produce that was there and the inhabitants of Israel was close by. It makes sense. There was an import-export business. So if these pr- fruits are chayv and maizah and these fruits are potter, it would get way too confusing. So the rabbi said, you know what, Mitra Banan, you should take off trimus of maizahs even from the arzos hasmuchos laaretz Israel. So now here's the tricky part. During the Shemitah year in Israel, there's Kedusha Shviyas. So during the Kedusha Shviyas, where it's Hefker for everybody, there's no Trimus of Maizros because that's the law. You don't take off Trimus of Maizros from Hefker things. So when it's Shemitah and it's just for anybody to take, you don't take off any Maizros at, at all. But the Na'amun Moab, there's no Kedusha Shviyas. It's not part of Israel. It wasn't Iskadish again in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. So it's not, it doesn't have Kedusha Shviyas. But there is a din of Maizros because it's Arsus Asmuchos Laretz Israel. What Maizros do you take off during the Shemitah year? Why is that such a good, complex question? Because you always take off Maizros Rishon, a tenth that goes to the lady. Then in years one, two, four, and five, you take off Maizros Shani, which is that you take an extra tenth and go to Jerusalem and eat it. In years three and six, you take off Maizros Ani, that's the cycle. In year seven, there's nothing to take off because it's Shemitah. But in Arts of is where there's no Shemitah, but yet Midra Banan, there's a din from Meisers. Which Meiser do you take off during Shemitah? That's the question. So Amr Allah said, what was the answer? Meiser Ani. It's meant to be Meiser Ani, that to go to the poor people. So Amr Allah, Rabbi Lazarus said, stretch out your hands and darken your eyes, meaning Rabbi Elezer cursed Rabbi Yossi with blindness. Why? Because what happened was, is that he said to him, what's the Chiddush in the base Medrash? And he told him this halacha, and you know why it upset Rabbi Lazarus so much? Because this ain't a new halacha that came out of the base Medrash today. He got really mad at him. Look why he was so mad. So, and, and he accepted the curse. He became blind. Hashem is close to the people. These are secret Hashem is to the people who fear him, and, and meaning to say that, how did you not know that this was an older, an older teaching? Go tell them, don't be nervous about your vote. You took a vote in the base measures to figure out what Miser should be in the land of Ammon and Moab. In order to really appreciate the Gemara, you have to remember that Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, I'm sorry, Rabbi Eliezer here is in Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. We learned in the Gemara in 
Yuma Samachvav. Yuma Samachvav, we learned that Rebbe Lazar and Horkinitz is the bar. He's the sealed cistern that doesn't lose a drop. He doesn't ever forget anything that he learned from his Rebbe. And he never says something that he didn't learn from his Rebbe. The whole Indian of Rebbe Lezer is that he's a man of tradition. And he says, you guys are taking votes in the base measures trying to figure out the halacha of a Kabbalah for Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai. He heard it from his teacher and his teacher heard it from his previous teacher. It goes all the way back to halacha Moshe Misinai. So you guys are trying to say it's a chiddish in the base measures today. I have an old and alter tradition that this is this way. So he made Rabbi Yossi blind he cursed him for reporting to him a chiddush in the base medrash, which to Rabbi Eliezer was something that was a halacha Moshe Misina. Unbelievable. And Matam, what's the of the Pshat? The Amun Moav don't have Shemitah. What's the Indian here? So the Gemara speaks out some of these concepts that we get. There were many different places that the people coming up from, from Mitzrayim, like Moshe and Yeshua, they were Kaivishem as part of Eretz Yisrael and had Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. But when they came back up in the time of Bavel, they did not conquer them and sanctify them. And the reason why they could work is because the original Kedusha that was made in the time of Moshe and Yeshua was not eternal. It was only until the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. Once the Jews were exiled, the Kedusha was gone as well. Because Dr. Rambam, what's the Lambdas? The Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael was Niskadesh with Kibosh Aretz, with the conquest. It was the conquest of Yoshua that was Mekadesh to Aretz. If it was the din of the Kibosh, once Nebuchadnezzar exiled the people, so then the Kibosh was Batal. If the Kibosh was Batal, the sanctity is Batal. It could only withstand the holiness, could only be there as long as there was a conquest. So therefore, the Kedusha went away, and it was up to Ezra and Nehemiah to bring it back. And therefore, they can make their arbitrary decisions what to be Mekadosh and what not to. And they left a lot of the places unsanctified so that they won't have Kedusha Shvies. They wanted the Anim to have what produce to eat. So if everything would be Shemitah, there's less produce. And they made a lot of places not have Kedusha Shvies so that there would be planting and Meisers being taken off. And that's all part of it why there's Meiser, Ani, that's taken off in the lands of Amunumov. Now, just to know the Lumbus of the Rambam, right? So the first Kedusha was Batal at the time of the Golas Abava. What about the second Kedusha? Is there Shemitah anymore? Is there Truma anymore? So the answer is yes. Why? Because the second Kedusha that was made from Ezra was not made through a Kibush. The second Kedusha from Ezra was made through a what? How was Ezra Mikalish the land? They didn't conquer anything. It was under Persian regime. Fascinating lambdas. Yeshua had to be kaivish the arts and he made it sanctified. It was only as good as the Kibush. The second they were exiled, it lost the Kibush. Ezra and Nehemia just were Mikalish it. And therefore, that's why it's Kaddish today, even though there could still be foreign regime. But it's an unbelievable thing. What's Pshat? Ezra Nechem is Kibush. Ezra Nechem is Kedusha, but without Kibush. Yoshua's is only with Kibush. Different nature to the Kedusha and Bayes Rishon and Bayes Shani. Unbelievable rate. Says the Gemara, how did the story end? Rabbi Yossi is blind for life. He said, I want Rabbi Yossi to get his eyesight back. And he got his eyesight back. So all's, el- all's well that ended well. But we can understand why, back to our story, when Yeshua asked to tell me them what happened to the base marriage today, they didn't want to answer. We can now understand. They, didn't, they knew that story with Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yossi. They didn't want it to happen to them. We learned that a shaita is part of mitzvah. So here we get a little raid here. What is a deranged person? What, who, how do we know if a person is shaita? He goes out alone at night. He sleeps in the cemetery and he rips his garment for no reason. So those are the signs of a shaita. It's a person who's only shaita if he has all of them at the same time. Meaning that we have to see all of these signs. It has to be... Um, 
all of these actions done by the person, not just one of the three, all the three. Even a jaws with one of them. So meaning what happens is, even if it's just one of these signs that the person does, we know he's a shaitah. What's the case here? All these actions, they can be done in the way you can see up insanity in the Maisa, or it can be done not. So if it's done in a way that seems insane, then even just doing one should make him a shaitah. Now, Taisus explains doing any one of these things three times. Avadi, you need to do it three times to make a din of chazak, to establish that. But the part is the Gemara is saying, if he did it, Derashtos, even any one of those three things, again, going out at night, sleeping in the cemetery and ripping your garments, if you're doing it with Derashtos, then even just one of those types of things, if you do it three times, you should be a shaita. Eat the law of Derashtos, and if you don't do it in, in an insane way, if you look at me, then even if you do all of them, it shouldn't make you deranged. Like, if you're not doing it in a way that seems deranged, then why is doing all of them a reason to become deranged? So we don't really understand what's going on. We know we have a dispute. We know there are three signs. Right? Cemetery going out at night and ripping your garments. We have a machlekes. If, if you do all of them or even just doing one of them three times makes you a shaita. But the Gemara doesn't understand what the case of the machlekes is. If you do it bederech shtos, you do it in the manner of insanity, even just one of them should make you a shaita. If you're doing it in a way that doesn't seem deranged, then the fact that you're doing all of them shouldn't make you a shaita. So the Gemara explains, listen to the Yisrael of Chazak. He is doing a derash dos. But the truth is, we always have answers. Even when you see something done in a way that seems insane, we can make it, we can rationalize that. Someone in the cemetery could say, it's done. Maybe he just has some impure spirit that rests upon him, and that's why he's got to do it. That's a legitimate answer to why he's doing it. So even though it seems that he's doing it for no reason, it seems he's doing it just as an insane person, there is a potential answer. We don't know for sure just because he does. There is an answer. If he goes out alone at night, we could say that there's some sort of disease that has seized him. Evidently, it's a real thing. It's like a depression and he goes out and he has to get air. It's a real thing. Again, it could be insanity. That would definitely be the poshest, but we could fan for it. We could see it's just a disease. Somebody rips his garments for no reason. We could say he's spaced out. He lost his thought. He didn't realize what he was doing. Definitely each action, as bizarre as it is, we could give a rational reason why it's being done. For sure. So therefore, if he would do any one of these actions... We could find for it. But what happens is, if he does all the three, so what happens? It becomes like a case where an ox scores an ox, a donkey, and a camel, but not some mu'ad lakol, where he comes in mu'ad for all animals. Meaning, what's the halacha? The owner of an ox that scores another ox pays chatzi nezek half damages the first three times. The fourth time, when he's a mu'ad, you pay full damages. So what would happen if you gore only one type of animal three times? You're only a mu'ad for that type of animal because maybe you have something specific that chazaka is to gore that animal. But if you gore an ox, a donkey, and a camel, now you become a mu'ad for all animals. You have to pay full damage no matter what type of animal it attacks the fourth time. So what, what's the Yisoyed? The Yisoyed is if you go gore three different types, obviously it's not about the three types, it's just that you're a gore. That's the Yisoyed. So so too in our case, if a person does three unrelated acts that are abnormal, we don't give a logical explanation for each one. We say it must be it's a general condition of insanity which is going on here. That's the Yisoyed. You see from here the Yisoyed of Chazaka. This is the famous thing Reb Chaim said. What's the Yisoyed of Chazaka? If there are three kashas, you have three kashas. And you could give three Torahs, or you could give one Torahs, the fan for all, all three questions. Better to answer it with one answer than to answer it with three answers. That's the Yisait of Chazaka. That's the Yisait. There are three Kashas. Why is the guy in the cemetery? Why is he ripping his clothes? And why is he out alone at night? You could give three answers. They're all their answers. I mean, they're not things we could live with the question. We have answers. Or you could give one answer, the fan for all. 
must be muchach. The chazaka says that the one answer is right. It's a malach and limud, and it's chazaka also. Very interesting. Rafuna had learned this price. The price says, "Who's a shaita? Somebody who weighs everything that we give him." So he were Rafuna but mulchaiser because we see that a shaita is just someone who rips his garment, right? Rafuna said, "You have to do. You have to display all three sides." You see, not that way because here the price says. That even well, who's a shaita? Someone who rips, who wastes what we give him. So he Ravuna would have been chayzer. Maybe it would only be chayzer for somebody who rips his garment three times. That I see makes him a shaita of the other way. But maybe the other one. Let's say somebody goes out at night alone three times. Maybe not. Maybe there's something more insane about ripping and wasting. Once he would have reversed his opinion about ripping and destroying, and that makes you a shaita to do it three times, then he would also would have been chayzer. From the other thing about the other ones as well, and the Gemara says take you. So bottom line is, there's we know that there are three signs to make a person a shota, right? Going out at night, sitting in the cemetery, and wasting what they give you. Is it that you do any one of these signs three times? That's one opinion. Or the other opinion was saying you have to do all of them. The Gemara definitely slugs up that opinion to a certain extent. Certainly someone who rips his garment three times is, a, is, is considered to be a shaita. Shaila is, does it reflect on the other two as well? And the Gemara does not necessarily know whether the other two are resolved that way.